that's not a small Asian boy playing with that robot toy. It's Franny Choi. And there, what happens when you're a little too supportive of that one youth poet, Danette Smith? <laughs> when you're listening to Verses, the podcast where poets confront the ideas that move them. Damn, Franny. Just kick me right in the 14-year-old youth. <laughs> I, you know, thank fucking goodness for the future and present and past of contemporary American poetry that you were supported as a youth. Yeah. And I will say, even when I was a youth, people were still saying, hey, Denez, calm it the fuck down. Yeah, right, so. right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah. Like, great for the art for your confidence to be mm-hmm. where it is. Mm-hmm. Great for the art, horrible for the community, you know? Right, right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did Denez make poetry better? Maybe. Did Denez make the world better? No. No, that's not true, though. It's not true. It's my body, so I'll shame if I want to. Shame. Oh, whoa, oh. whoa. But it's my job. Okay, you can do that, but it's my job to say, actually, you're great. To kind well, of break you. you down and then build you back up, you know? Well, thank you, Freddie. I wish that I had met... Um, no, you don't. Baby Poe. I do. I don't know if we would have been friends, but I wish I, I had met them. I don't think 16-year-old Franny and Denez would get along. I think if I was baby Denez, you would need to be my mentor. You know, like, we can't be the same age anymore. You got to be 22. 22-year-old me it was my messiest self, I think. So I think that we would have gotten along great. Great. <laughs> TBH. <laughs> um, speaking of our past selves, I mean, I love thinking, actually, about 16-year-old Denez. I appreciate the opportunity to think about 22-year-old Franny, though I don't necessarily love that experience. But have you been hanging out with some like other versions, like other Denezes lately? You know, like we have like a multiplicity of selves, right? Like, is there like an an alter Denez that you've been that you've been kicking it with? Yeah, I think like I actually have maybe been hanging out with like maybe like 16, 15, 14-year-old Denez a little bit lately. Um, I think moving to a new place for this year has made me a little bit like a calmer, shyer version of myself, right? Like, Whoa, um, I don't know her. It's like new school, you know? It's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and so, like, you know, like, I think I'm like, when I think about like, when I'm like truly in my element, I think I am like way too loud and like maybe my arms flail a little bit too much. <laughs> and, you know, I have like the energy of a too much tall person in a small person's body. Um, <laughs> but I think like, you know, like even like, yeah. like walking around like my neighborhood or like going to new bars or like, going to new skating rinks and like, you know, not really like knowing people. Like, I think I have been a little shyer. Like even at skating, like it took me a couple of sessions to like really like be a faggot like that. I was like feeling it out. I was like, how can I like, you know, like twerk my little butt here without like getting a lot of disdain. And it was iffy for a while. And that like, I feel like this is the most myself I've been here yet. And it was good to know that like, I'm still shy and that like spaces where I feel safe in myself are still earned. And I think that's because I've been like in like places where like I feel very comfortable for so long that like it's been good, I think, to like feel vulnerable again. And it adds value to those spaces that I love because I'm like, okay, I still move through the world shyly sometimes, you know? <laughs> and I think I like to think about myself as such like a bold and like always myself person. But um it's been humbling and grounding to just be like oh you're still sometimes shy with who you are right yeah and I feel like that to me reminds me of a younger self who still was like trying to figure out how the world felt about them and how they felt about the world 
You know, I love hearing you talk about that. I mean, because I feel like what I hear you saying is not just kind of like shyness, like, Mm -hmm. or like discomfort or something for the sake of that, but understanding a kind of responsibility to being a newcomer in a space, you know? And I find that really beautiful. You know, uh, for, for me, I think that like something that's been like a kind of like self I've been confronting has been um, like an imagined other person that is like a professor and like, like a tweed coat on the spirit like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly um but like the kind of person that like deserves to be a professor basically and whenever i started getting into this mode where i was trying to like cosplay as a professor when i was practicing for like um academic job interviews i would <laughs> i would call her um dr professor francesca schwa <laughs> I, I was like that was, that was like the per- this like imaginary like does not exist person that I was trying to like tap into but she like literally is not real and so um, it, it got me like caught in this loop but I think that it's like that's not a discomfort because like I'm new here it's a discomfort because it's like I don't know if I deserve to have this kind of power or like this kind of like prestige or something like I have to like or I don't believe that if I'm myself then I would deserve to be here and so I'm like trying to um, mold myself into like a different person that that is not me so that I can have access to that space you know like it feels like a different thing than what you're talking about I mean I've heard you talk about the doctor professor uh, Francis Schwa before and I think it's okay sometimes that we have avatars for ourselves, you know, that allow us to import into spaces. And I think what I also hear from you, though, is like, one day I'll be able to like be Franny in these spaces, right? Right. But until I've done whatever work within myself that I can feel, you know, and I'm still taking myself in there, but this is like the lady that I bring with me, you know? know, And I think it's okay to be like, here's my avatar. Here is like, you know, here is like the character that I have to play to survive this because once you're in those spaces, you know how to be for any, right? Who do we armor ourselves with? What other us's do we, you know, do we call upon in order to like feel comfortable walking through those gates, right? Because we know we're being gatekept, right? And it's like, okay, I know this is happening. I know the deal. Meet this other me, bitch. <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, you don't like you don't like stupid Franny? Well, here's professional Franny. Yeah. Here's like way too professional Franny, right? <laughs> like, yeah, right, and like right, don't right, even right. trust that she'll be here, right? Hire yeah. this bitch. I'ma come. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this is obviously like something that as artists and as writers who are writing about like our personal in our lives like every every writer who is writing about themselves wrestles at some point with like okay is this me on the page me like how much of this poem that's talking about my life is actually like about my life and how much of it does it belong to the art and I think that also for poets who have um, and artists who have like attained any sort of like visibility or whose art has really found a place like among a certain community of of readers and audience like those questions that every artist is dealing with like get sort of heightened right like so um which is why we're so excited to bring in somebody that um we both 
super highly respect as a poet, as an artist, as a community builder, and as an educator, and also who has some really fascinating and useful and beautiful things to say about kind of how to navigate the like multiple selves that we're all sort of negotiating when we try to bring something like ourselves to the page or into the world or um, into our living rooms for a year and a half. Um, so we're really excited to share this interview with Sarah Kay, who we, we love and admire um, so highly. Sarah Kay is a writer, performer, and educator from New York City. She has shared her poems in cornfields in Iowa, an orthodontist office in Nepal, a Viking ship on a forge in Norway, a nightclub in Singapore, the Royal Danish Theater in Denmark, Carnegie Hall in New York, the Kennedy Center in D.C., the back rooms of dive bars, middle school gymnasiums, and once on top of somebody's dining room table. <laughs> Sarah has a master's degree in the art of teaching from Brown University and has been a Hedgebrook artist in residence, a Cinebay artist in residence, and a Kundiman Fellow. She is a class of 2022 New America Fellow at New America and a co-curator of season two of Ars Poetica, a poetry web series in partnership with the Poetry Foundation and Complexly. Sarah is the author of four books of poetry, No Matter the Wreckage, Be, The Type, and All Our Wild Wonder. She is the co-founder and co-director of Project Voice, an organization that uses poetry to entertain, educate, and inspire students and teachers worldwide. She has inspired me. She is the reason why half of the people under 18 are writing poetry. She <laughs> is a, truly an inspiration and a delight and just such a, such a genius, even just being a genius of the self. We're so excited to bring y'all this conversation with Sarah and Sarah Kay, who are going to start us off with a poem. <laughs> Where is my prize for most unreliable narrator? I would never lie to you, but I lie to me all the time. I say, look at that bird, this childhood memory, that light falling on his body in the steam and say, boom, a stone truth, a poem. And you, trust me. You trace your finger along the constellation I'm insisting into existence and let my rickety astrology determine the weather. But this is all dominoes. I am just trying to place enough words between now and the end to trick the end into coming later. I slip single doses of myself into the pockets of everyone I love, worried about serving sizes, hoping they do not sour once I'm gone. I spent 32 years in New York City, and every metaphor is stacked with taxi cabs and subways. I spent two weeks in the woods, and suddenly every poem swelled with rhododendrons and the smell of firewood. I am the most porous sponge that ever sponged. I throw myself off every emotional cliff and build a pogo stick on the way down. I am not an optimist, but I play one in the group chat. I don't know who I think I need absolution from, but I carry around a shiny report card everywhere I go just in case. I thought I wanted a boyfriend, but I actually wanted an audience. My father carried dried mushrooms from the market to the wood table on the front porch so he could watch the way the late afternoon sun made patterns 
bones in their crackled skin and called my mother out of the house so she could stand next to him and look at it too. They were so excited. They forgot to close the screen door and the bugs made a home of the kitchen. I have never accomplished anything in my life other than the seven-mile run to the lighthouse. This land, someone else's. This language, someone else's. Even the churning fear that pours out of me an inheritance or if not an inheritance, then a reaction, a riverbank formed out of a rushing past I had nothing to do with. I make a phone call, and when you don't pick up, the whole house falls down around me. I am the center of my own dramatic universe, and it appalls me. In my dream, I cry and stomp my feet and throw my fists at the circling clouds, and from somewhere down a hallway of locked doors, a voice asks, What if? You aren't as bad as you suspect you are. What if you'll never be as good as you ache? And then, softer, in the kind of whisper that wouldn't even fog the glass, what if what you are is boring and alive until you aren't? What are you going to do then? Oh, that just kicked me right in the 30s. Know, right, in the, right in the 30s. <laughs> the funny thing is, Sarah, I always go, whenever you start your poems, I always think, I'm not going to cry at this. This isn't going to make me cry. And then by the end, I'm in tears. Like, I'm always in tears. Yeah, thank you for that. God. Thanks, pals. I was thinking about how, like, that poem is maybe a little bit for for other poets thinking about some of the same stuff. <laughs> We've been poets for a long time, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's maybe bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Just oh, a huge God. reveal. Ten seconds into the podcast. <laughs> Danez Smith changing careers. <laughs> Mid podcast, mid podcast retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is the end of me hosting verses, but this is the end of my engagement with poetry. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> it ain't so. <sighs> but Sarah, there's also there's so much more like uncertainty in your poems generally, and I feel like this is this is like definitely in that category and maybe like even for going further than I've I've heard you go in a, in a while can you talk about that like this kind of uncertainty this unreliability this idea of the unreliable narrator and how you how you arrive there well my friend Kayla is a singer songwriter and we were having a conversation about art and art making and she mentioned that she had seen this interview with a singer songwriter Ben Schur, I think is how you pronounce his last name. He was asked, um, you know, you write these personal vulnerable stories and you share them with the world. Like, how do you do that? Or, or why do you do that? Or, you know, whatever. And his response was that he was saying, when I'm trying to write first, I try to write what it is I don't want other people to know about me. And then I try to write what I don't want to know about me. It isn't that I took that as a prompt or anything, but I, but I do think that that was sitting in my brain. And in this year plus, year extended, never-ending year, year that won't give up the ghost, um, 
I think so much time inside Mm. (laughs) and so much time in my own brain meant that I really was, was doing a lot of digging afterwards I like looked at this poem and was like oh wow you can kind of see me get through like this list of stuff I don't want other people to know about me and then hit the thing I don't want to know about me like right right at the end um and that clearly was like you know swimming in my brain um but in terms of uncertainty I have been thinking a lot about how someone listening to me share a poem or someone reading a poem is really trusting and the responsibility that gives me as a writer and as a performer. And I've always thought about that responsibility, but I guess as I get less confidence (laughs) that I know what I'm doing in the world, all of a sudden I was like, oh no, like don't follow me. And maybe this year also, year is really a mindset. You know what I mean? Less <laughs> yeah. of a measurement, <laughs> more of a more of a framework. Anyway, um, I think in this year, as so much became increasingly uncertain, as I became increasingly less confident in most things, including myself and my knowledge of self, even what I used to feel like I had a little bit more authority in in my poem writing, I feel less so. And then I realize, like, oh no, I'm I'm still conducting myself in my poems as though I still have the same authority. That doesn't feel true to me at this moment in time. That's interesting. Can you just say a little bit more on that? Like what does it look like to you when you have abandoned that control? What does it look like for you to like still be acting like you in control? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh I would say that like something that I have been focusing on a lot in my life as a person before I get to my life as a writer or an artist, but like Sarah, the human, I think a lot about (laughs) time and attention because I think that those are the things that are non-replenishable resources and they are the things that I have to give. And I think it, it started to become really something I paid attention to back when I was traveling all the time because I used to travel constantly. And I realized that I had all these people in my life who I love and I would be like, oh, I think about that person all the time. Oh, I miss that person so much all the time. But that person doesn't know that and can't experience me thinking of them or loving them or missing them from afar. And the only thing that they can experience is when I take the time (laughs) to show them these things, right? Um, So when I was traveling a lot, that meant like, you have to call them, you have to text them, you have to like be in communication, you have to send them a gift in the mail, you know? And I think in general, what I put my time and my attention towards is the measurement of what I care about and what is meaningful to me, right? And sometimes that can be in a unwieldy category that I have no control over, right? So when I have really bad spirals of anxiety, I'm losing a lot of time uh, and my attention is on something that I like really wish it wasn't and would like that time and attention back. Um, But when I can be intentional about it. And when I have control over what I'm putting time and attention into, that feels important and special. And so I, I'm, I'm thoughtful about those things. And then 
if that's what's happening in my like life as Sarah, then when I turn towards art making or poetry writing, similarly, I think about time and attention in the poem. What am I asking someone to pay attention to in this poem? And what am I spending time on? I used to talk about poems and say like, oh yeah, all my poems are a celebration. Even the ones where I'm angry or even the ones when I'm sad, I'm like celebrating that emotion. But I don't actually think celebration maybe is nuanced enough anymore. I think it's more like I'm taking time with something and I'm putting attention on these different moments. And then in performance, I am very aware of the fact that this room of people have taken time out of their dwindling lives to sit with me and my poems. And I have the ability to call their attention to certain moments and and questions and thoughts. And I want to be able to earn that time, right? Like I want them to walk away from a show and go, wow, that was time well spent. It's a real gift when someone gives you their time and attention, right? Like I think now we've got so much conversation about like the monetizing of attention and like clicks for eyeballs and all that. So like, it's not like we don't know how valuable attention is and how valuable people's time and attention is. And I think like being thoughtful about that and where that comes up, like in this poem, for example, there's a line in here about like a constellation that I'm insisting into existence. And I really do sometimes think about poem making as constellation building because in a poem, I'm like, okay, I want you to look at this star and this star, this star, and now it's a bear. (laughs) And (laughs) everyone in the audience goes, it is a bear. (laughs) Wow, look at that bear, you know? And that's like a huge amount of trust that they're giving me to say like, yes, I believe in the constellation that you're, that you've created for me based on the stars you've chosen to direct my attention to. And I think where the uncertainty comes in is I've been working on this big nonfiction project for a long time. And I have realized that when I was writing poems for years and years and years, I didn't realize that I had this confidence where I was like, yeah, it is a bear. Duh. Like no one questions me in my poem about the constellation I'm building because I'm the authority on this. So like what I say is true. It's my poem. But like, that's not how nonfiction works. (laughs) Right, totally, totally, totally. (laughs) In nonfiction, I'm like researching and researching and researching. And then I'm like, oh no, what if I'm pointing to these three stars and like, those are the wrong stars? Or like, what about all, someone else is going to pick up this book and be like, I can't believe you forgot about this whole other part of the sky. Like you didn't even talk about this star at all. Like, and I I just have someone, Or you're you're pointing up being like, that's, hydrogen and someone's like no it's not (laughs) right (laughs) right so all of my confidence like flew out the window and then because I I felt so much uncertainty in my authority in the nonfiction space then all of a sudden I looked back at poetry and was like oh no like (laughs) wait a second (laughs) you thought you had authority over there too like wrong (laughs) so that's That's the long answer to like, where is that uncertainty coming from? And just maybe being a little bit more honest about like, yes, I've been like stumbling through poetry for a long time and maybe thought that like, yeah, because I've been a poet this long, like when I say this is a bear, it is a bear. But like, 
maybe not, or, or not, not even maybe not. Cause I don't know if there's an answer. I guess it's more like a little bit more humility to say maybe the poems that I've been creating when they enter the space where they belong to other people, maybe I have to also just remember <laughs> that other people have a relationship to those poems and other people have experiences of those poems too. And there's a responsibility in what I'm asking people to pay attention to when those poems exist beyond me. That doesn't mean I can't and don't write like little poems about whatever for myself. But I do think that like me realizing that there's this audience of humans who who is listening to a poem and then feeling things or thinking about things and being directed in certain directions and taking on the responsibility to be like, oh, wow, like maybe make sure you're pointing to a bear. (laughs) 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 This extended metaphor is really, now I got to retire it. It's too much. (laughs) No, I think it's good. I think it's still working. But I think it's a good question about audience too, though, because it's sounding like maybe you have now been your own audience, right? Um, you're having to prove yourself this bear in nonfiction and also that's leading back to the poetry and being like, was there ever a bear fucking there at all? <laughs> that's the title of this poem is, was there even a bear fucking at all? <laughs> because, but this is, I'm wondering, because you also mentioned, I'm also interested in these poems that you're writing for yourself. Like, what has it been like for somebody that's been on stages as long as yourself, who does think about there being such a responsibility in like in managing your side of the conversation with the audience? Mm-hmm. Um, what has it been like to be writing and thinking detached from um, those stages and from that audience? What has it been like to turn to you? Weird, man. It's been <laughs> weird. You know, I started writing poems the way I think most people start writing poems, which is to help the not inside of you find a way to loosen and come out of you or to find the knot outside of you and loosen it and give it away in, right? And that's a very personal, intimate, sometimes solitary experience. And then I sort of tripped backwards into this community of poets who were performing their art. And that became a community And it changed poetry from something that was solitary to something that was communal and shared and really changed my life from that moment forward. So much of my orientation in the world was poetry is this gift that was shared with me that so many poets made room for me to be present in especially because I was, you know, 14, 15 when I started. And so, you know, quite literally people would (laughs) make room for me to sit under the bar to watch adult poets share poems. And so I, I feel very deeply that people made room for me to enter poetry. And then my hope and my dream and my goal is to make room for as many other people as possible to enter poetry as well and or to expand constantly people's understanding of what poetry is and what it can be and who gets to make it and what it gets to be about. And I believe so strongly in the necessity for the expansiveness of poetry, right? That like anybody invested in making poetry exclusionary or exclusive 
actually doesn't love poetry uh, because that's how something dies, right? So the inviting of young people into poetry, the including of a multitude of poets to be able to say like, this too is yours. That's been my goal for, for the rest of my life. But none of that included a plan to be famous or visible or recognized, right? Like, yeah, I mean, Sarah, how old were you when Deaf Poetry Jam happened? 18. I think I had just turned 18 when I did Deaf Poetry Jam. But even that, like, you know, no shade to Deaf Poetry Jam, but like, who was watching Deaf Poetry Jam? Not a lot of people. Like, you know. I was. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. <laughs> She's young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was a trip and like super fun and an opportunity to, again, like be around other poets and learn, like that was exciting. But I, I guess the point is that like no part of my life plans included like I will be a famous poet or like people will know me. Like, uh, first of all, because I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, I mean, it's still sort of not. Correct. Well, yeah, I mean, correct. I mean, like, 100% yeah, 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 yeah. not possible. Yeah, yeah. True. So <laughs> anyway, so that was not part of the goal. That was not part of the plan. And then I got to do a TED Talk. The TED Talk went viral. And the result of that talk and its virality was that what had been a pretty like small domestic goal of like, I will help bring poems into classrooms and I will get invited from school to school and I will share these poems and I will help other people find poetry. Like all of a sudden I was getting emails from people all over the world saying, Hey, I saw that Ted talk. And not only was that talk, my introduction to you and your art, it was also my introduction to the art form of spoken word poetry. And so it, then all of a sudden there was this like ambassadorship that I accidentally found myself in. And that was a responsibility that I had not prepared for and didn't feel was appropriate, honestly, that I was like, there are so many poets who are older than me, who are more experienced than me, who are <laughs> better writers, you know, whatever it is like, oh no, how did I end up this representative and Kristen O'Keefe Aptowix, who's my lifelong mentor and shining light, is a person who taught me this thing, which is really useful, has been useful to me, which is that whenever I have, you know, bad imposter syndrome or if I feel like I don't, I'm not deserving of something, certainly she first tries the like, you are deserving <laughs> tactic. And then when that fails, uh, her second attempt is like, okay, then earn it backwards. Let's say you don't deserve it. Let's say this is a fluke fine. Now, what are you going to do with that? Like now make more room for more people after you now, like shed light on other artists now, like turn up other people's microphones, you know, like, okay, great, fine. Like don't get caught up in that move forward uh, or backwards. And that's been, been useful to me in that regard. But anyway, all of that is a long rambling way to get to. I accidentally ended up a person who a lot of young people see and is their introduction to the art form and not young people too a lot of people who <laughs> are just on the internet and that opportunity has allowed me to have the career that i have had i'm very grateful and very aware that i would not be able to do this work and be who i am in a time period before the internet and as we've talked about, like, I consider it a big responsibility. I also hope deeply that I'm like a gateway drug to poetry for people, right? Like so much of my work 
since I have all these people's attention sometimes, how can I like put that attention on other poets who I also want you to fall in love with? You know, if you came to my work and were then we're like, ah, oh, yes, this is poetry. Like that's not good enough. We've got to expand that definition ever more so. I don't know. One of my like the thing that makes me so happy is is sharing poems with other people and getting to do that is like a huge joy in my life. But I would say that that balancing like Sarah Kay, the representative and gateway poet for young people and classroom friendly <laughs> poet with like Sarah the human who at age 14 and at age 33 writes poems to help her figure out her brain and her heart and her life. Like those are kind of different, (laughs) not kind of, those are like very different and allowing them to exist and not conflict with each other is really important. And I think that I'm hopefully in a better place to be able to like hold that. I will say like, I've had a year plus where like Sarah Kay, (laughs) has been on sabbatical because <laughs> there's been no performances. You know what I mean? Like uh, there's been no traveling, like the, the, the version of me that is the one that is more out in the world uh, has gotten to rest. And so because of that, Sarah, the human has gotten to spend a lot of time writing these little poems for, <laughs> for her uncertainty <laughs> and for her self-doubt and not had to think about like whether or not, these poems are are going to be in the world or for the world or performed ever. And I think maybe I shared that poem with you today because I was like, I don't know if this poem will ever be performed. So like, here's a little space that it can it live. Should and- be. <laughs> yeah. Just not with the 12-year-olds, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, with- it kind of depends on the 12-year-old, I think. Do you think somebody has like lost their virginity to button poetry? Has that happened yet? <sighs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. That's a real risky move because if you put on the like autoplay or whatever, really a whole bunch of, you know, Oof. like a not sexy times could really come I'm, up for I'm you. sure yeah. somebody has gotten penetrated for the first time. Wow. <laughs> off of like a cupsy group piece. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Boo. <laughs> I mean, this isn't making it out of the podcast, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. But I'm just thinking, we'll like, somebody, somebody is definitely like horny invited somebody over to like watch spoken word together and it has like roll, kept rolling. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, we're joking, but like, I do have a poem about my vibrator and it's like in the world and like, you can find it. I don't know when that poem was like put out into the world. I can't remember whether I was worried, obviously not worried enough to not share it. And there's a balance between being aware of young people and what they are finding. And also, how would I phrase this? Like, uh, I don't want to lie to young people either, you know? Like, that doesn't serve anybody. I've only ever written poems about where I am. So I started when I was 14, and I have poems that sound like a 14-year-old wrote them because she did. And then I have poems that sound like an 18-year-old wrote them because she did. And then, you know, as I've gotten older, what I think about and what I write about is accurate to 
where I am if I were trying to write poems for 18-year-olds specifically now, I think they would feel inauthentic. I'm 33, and if I were meditating on a topic that isn't appropriate for an elementary school audience, I would trust that elementary school teachers and parents would not bring those poems there. But I'm not going to not write about you know, what I need to. I've just always used poems as like ways to build little um, landmarks in the sand about like where I am at a given moment. And I don't want to not build that little landmark no matter what the topic is because I'm like hiding it from myself or anybody else. You don't have to come visit it, <laughs> but I still got to build it, you know? Right. This is a poetic um, somewhere between like Little Nas X and like Naomi Shiab Nye, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas like Little Nas X, right, was like somebody who like got like sort of adopted by kindergartners in a song where he was literally talking about like adultery and sex and weed. Um, and then quickly had to come out and be like, I'm not for your fucking kids, you know? <laughs> like, I'm gay, let me be. And like Naomi who like, is like the young people's poet laureate, but like definitely has books that reach outside of that audience, you know? And I think maybe as a model of like, I can care about young people and turn my attention to young people without wearing what I think maybe sometimes is like sort of like a creative boundary or shackle or whatever you want to call it. That is like sort of saying that you're going to like write for a children's audience, right? Because sometimes, that you know, that is an interesting territory, right? Like, can Jason Reynolds release a sex novel? I don't know, because we do love his stuff. But who's to say he can't? And who's to say that we can't do it all? <laughs> also, know? like, kids grow up. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like the readers who are, like, 12 when they first heard your poems are, like, 22 now. And, like, what kind of poems do they need? Or Totally. And it's important to say that, like, no one is asking me not to write. No one, no parent, no teacher has been like, listen you got to only write poems for you. Like that's, <laughs> right, right, no one right. has made that request. Yeah. <laughs> and so it would just be a self-imposed limitation, which I don't need to do. You know, Naomi is like the, absolutely a model and a, and a, you know, legend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there things that uh, you've learned from inside Sarah that, um, that you think are going to come back into outside Sarah? Like, are there things that inside Sarah can teach outside Sarah? Man, what a great question. I don't know. I think I'll find out when, like, I have to step back into Sarah K out in the world. Sarah K TM. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I'm sure both of you have this too, which is to say that, like, the strangeness of what we do is that we write these poems that are ours, that are true, that are vulnerable, that are personal, that are close to ourselves. And then the ones that make it out into the world and onto stage or onto video or onto the internet are some of those, but certainly not all of them. And then the outside world watches those videos, reads those poems, and they construct a version of Franny Choi and a version of Dennis Smith, but like those are constructed based on these like tiny little breadcrumbs that have been pretty carefully curated and like laid out <laughs> on a platter and is missing 
the rest of the loaf. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, I'm mostly like butt piece, you know, heel piece <laughs> over here. I'm you right, the, right. The bits. I'm a tortilla. <laughs> Ooh, okay. <laughs> but you know, and it's it's always like a strange moment too when you like meet someone in the world who's like, I love your work or I'm really familiar with your work or you know, whatever. And and they feel an intimacy with that person, Sarah Kay, but it's based on a very curated set of crumbs. I don't think that their feelings are incorrect or foolish, but also like what's more beautiful about that is it's about their relationship with the poetry and where they are in their life and where they have reached these poems and what those poems have meant to them in their life and much less to do in that particular interaction with like Sarah, the human sitting in her living room writing poems. And so I think being able to both honor that and like have really meaningful, positive interactions with people after shows that I don't feel are like false or fake or they're interacting with like, I don't know, a a false version of me. It's not that. It's just, I think for my own, like, so that I can be Sarah and write poems that Sarah wants to write and not have like the Sarah K profession in the room when I'm, when I'm just trying to sort through my own honest self, I think I do have to be able to like differentiate that a little bit. And because I've got to be so alone (laughs) with myself for a year plus, I don't know how it's going to go to go back into that space. You know, my instinct is that I want to be protective. My instinct is that like, not all of the poems I've been writing that have been like scraping the scraping the the bottom of my self container uh (laughs) that not all of those need to be for the world you know that I don't need to hand those out that it's okay that some of those poems were for Sarah and not for Sarah Kay (laughs) now I'm really just sounding this is some like Gemini you know like here's how you know Gemini of course of course are you kidding oh wow wow textbook embarrassing yeah, but this is real though. I feel like <laughs> I mean I feel like we've maybe talked about it a couple of times on the show. Like there is the performative self that does the tours, and that that is ex- I think it's very. I don't think we talk often enough about how exhausting it is to be a performative version of yourself, especially at like a very young age. I also have the Denez Smith, who you know goes to like you know whatever the fuck university, and like only is ever allowed to have a good day. <laughs> right, 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 right. Or can have a crappy day, but in a very particular context where they probably say something very powerful um, about why it's a bad day and then still has to go and do the 30 minutes of poetry followed by Q&A. Um, it's been trippy to say the least, I think, to like spend so much time away from the self that is the poet and not even the poet right because the poet who writes the poems is a is a weird crusty stinky (laughs) mother effer you know like the poet but the poet who performs the poems does have a certain grace and a certain performative um spirit of i don't even want to say like delight but of like that's the part of I think we want to talk about like how that's entertainment, right? And like I just can't be my stank self today because I have to like do this thing well enough to probably be invited back or that you tell your friend at the partner institution that I was really great because that's where bills come. And you know, I feel like we don't talk about how 
and all that shit is away from poetry, right? Like, and like, and we spend so much time doing that. Isn't it wild how many jobs there are in the job of poet? Like, if you had told me, like, oh, you want to be a poet? Cool, cool, cool. You should also learn how to be uh, an accountant, a brand manager, a producer, a stage manager. You got to be a life coach. You got to be a motivational speaker. You got to be a makeup artist. You got to, like, be a stylist. You got to be, you know, like, and to be clear, like, I feel so un reasonably lucky Mm -hmm. that that's the life that I get to lead, right? Like the Sarah Kay that the world experiences, like, it's not that that's not me. I learn from that Sarah Kay, right? Like that Sarah Kay is a lot more confident. That Sarah Kay looks great on stage. You know what I mean? Like outfits, cute makeup, right? Like, and also like that Sarah Kay is like more optimistic Mm -hmm. and like more, yeah, I don't know. I learn things from that Sarah Kay. And sometimes that Sarah Kay is like aspirational even, you know? So I I feel beyond the moon that I get to do that and get to like pick up that that work and that part of me and step into that part of me. Like that's unreal. And every day I'm like, one day they're going to figure out that you've been out here making a life for yourself as a poet. And they're going to be like, that's not allowed. Take that away. <laughs> um, so like, I feel so lucky it's not an or, it's like an and, you know? Um, and also, in order for it to not be exhausting and in order for it to stay genuine, <laughs> I also need to have the Sarah who is crusty in her apartment trying to write these poems, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, one of the things that was wild is like, it is true that I entered poems and like love poetry before anything about performance or audiences ever came into my life. Right. And then, and then the Ted talk and then like more performing and, and that is now a huge or was a huge part of my life. And it is true that I maybe inadvertently like built a life for myself where several times a month, rooms full of people would clap for me. (laughs) Right. You'd say like, I was sad in these particular ways and people clap. (laughs) Like, I didn't think about that. You know, that wasn't why I was doing this work, (laughs) but like that it was a part of my life for a long time. And then all of a sudden I went inside and that was gone. And not only was that gone, but like, so many other things were also being added on top of it. Like there are very few things in my life that I feel genuine confidence in. One of them is I feel confident that I love my friends and that they know I love them, that I'm like good at loving the people I love. The other thing I'm confident in is I know how to read a room pretty well. And it helps me whether I'm like at the front of a classroom or I'm on a stage or I'm hosting a dinner party, or, you know, like, that's like one of the skills I think I have. And when we first started going into like virtual space, the first thing I realized is that it is impossible Mm. to read a room through a Zoom space because you literally cannot even make eye contact with someone. (laughs) But what would happen is that my brain would send out all of the same questions it always has which is like, did that joke land? Is 
so-and-so okay? Do we need to have a moment of levity? Should we get serious for a second? Is this landing? Do we need, you know, like all of those hosting impulses, my brain would send out all those questions, but it like could not get the information back. And because it could not get the information back, I was suddenly thrown into this spiral of self-doubt, which was like, wait, maybe I actually can't read a room. Like maybe I can't do this at all. And then once that started to crumble, (laughs) it was like, wait, maybe I'm also a terrible friend. Maybe like I really thought I was, I knew how to do these things. And like, I was doing a good job of, but maybe, maybe actually I'm trash. And, you know, (laughs) there were so many days. So I was like, trying to write this big nonfiction project. And it's like so hard to feel like you're getting anywhere. And it it just felt like a lot of failures. So like that was happening at the same time that like the one like external validation machine that I used to have, which was a room full of people being like, you succeeded (laughs) at saying poems for an hour. Like that was also gone. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) what if, what if I can't succeed at anything? Like what if actually all of this is, has been me lying to myself this whole time. So that was like at the bottom of the bucket when it was Sarah really in the ring with herself, you know? Phew. Yeah. Not great. I, I was I was in a classroom when, with um with students for the first time in a long, long year yesterday. And I I made a joke and they laughed. <gasps> they in real time and I heard each and every one of them laugh and I was like, <gasps> and I just so and then I just I got I became within two minutes like addicted, re-addicted to this feeling. And I just made so many jokes. (laughs) And and afterward, I felt like I could like fight a tiger. (laughs) I was like, I can do anything. I can do anything. It was, yeah. It was like actually maybe like a little bit too much for me. It was very much like boy eats too much cake. Like (laughs) it's too big for him to eat energy. Yeah. But I did not realize how underrated it was until it was I had a little taste of it again yesterday. How needed like a useful drug to manage the fuckery of being alive in America it is to have people applaud for you in real time. It's it's also been first bad <laughs> and then useful to be like, okay, cool. So now no one's clapping. So what if you never perform again? Now what? <laughs> yeah, totally. That's not why I got into poetry in the first place. Like, that's not the part of poetry I love. If anything, the part of the performing that I love is after a show when I'm standing outside the theater and I get to meet people and someone is like, this is my first time ever at a poetry show or my boyfriend dragged me here or I've come to every show you've ever given in this geographic radius or, you know, like that experience is the thing that I love the most. That allowed me to kind of zero in and be like, right, like the thing that you actually love is the sharing part and the reminding yourself how like poetry is this invisible thread that so many people are holding on to. And oftentimes like the only thing they have in common is poetry, right? That like people from all different walks of life gravitate towards poetry for different reasons and respond to different poems, obviously, and different poets. But in the time when I was able to go literally all over the world and meet people who were building lives around poetry, the thing that I was constantly in love with was getting to see 
the way that people share poems with each other and what poetry can open for people, right? And and how <laughs> you arrive to poetry at exactly the right time. That poem got to you exactly when it needed to get to you. And part of why I love the different moments and and projects in my life where I am getting to like, you know, either curate or amplify other poets, that joy of getting to watch someone be like, oh my God, I needed this poem right now. It's like, that's what I feel. Every time I read a poem that shakes my whole life up, I'm like, oh my God, like this, I needed this poem so bad right now. And so getting to like, attempt to recreate that experience for other people is like such a such a joy and like I don't need a clapping room full of people to do that I can do that in other spaces and I can like continue sharing poems in whatever medium has to be and of course I miss live performance sometimes and of course like there's something irreplaceable about that but also like it was a it was a great opportunity for me to learn again <laughs> about like attention and like I, I was receiving a lot of attention in this way and then it went away and I was like, cool, like now what? Like, what do I do? What attention do I actually want? And what attention am I giving these things? And at first, the absence of that room of people clapping, I think I realized I had I had started building like a Pavlovian <laughs> relationship to it. And then when it was gone, it was this opportunity for growth or at least an opportunity for like self-reflection, which I am grateful for. It is so important to me that it doesn't seem that I'm not coming off as though like the Sarah Kay that the world has access to is somehow a prison or a burden or something I resent or anything like that. It is a hundred percent, well, maybe not a hundred percent, but I would say like definitely largely like the luckiest thing. It's also hard work. It's also a responsibility. It's also not in conflict with Sarah the human. It's just part of the universe of me. And sometimes I'm over there and sometimes I'm here. And I've gotten to be here for a year and a half after a long stretch of time of not having a lot of time to be Sarah the human. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm also a little bit nervous about what happens when I have to find my way back to that side of the universe. But I think it's all lucky or I feel very lucky for it. And it's just work that I have to do and like be serious about so that I don't feel unbalanced or resentful or inauthentic or you know, any of the things that I don't want, I just have to do that work on my own. You know, that's nobody else's responsibility. All right, Sarah Kay, it is time to play some games. Um, This first game that we're going to play with you is called Fast Punch, where we're going to give you 10 categories and you quick as a popular Netflix show that gets canceled too early um, you are going to tell us um, the what your thought on that category best or worst um, I did not explain that right at all but you know what the fuck game we're playing I got um, you yep um, do you want to be a pessimist or optimist today optimist prime oh <laughs> yeah yes yes yes, yes. <laughs> uh, alright first question I'll start us off today best decade 
For whom? <laughs> In your personal opinion. <laughs> In my personal opinion, this one's pretty bad <laughs> thus far. But it's still early. We could still turn this around. People got to stop fucking around. But if we really focus, we could really make this decade the one. All right. Wow. Wow. Truly Optimus Prime, like like (laughs) the primest. Um, Best Asian dessert. The one that popped into my head fastest was mango and sticky rice. That is the correct answer. That is the correct answer, yes. Best shape. I do love a triangle. Nice, nice, nice. (laughs) Best song from Bo Burnham's Inside. All of them. But honestly, the one that haunts me the most is the one, uh, I don't actually even know what it's called, but it's like right at the beginning, the, the one like about comedy. Healing the world with comedy. Yes. Yeah. That, there's a line in there that like haunts me to my core, which is like, I want to try and make the world a better place. And I'm worried that comedy won't help. And like, my worry is not unfounded. And I'm like, oh no, that <laughs> but poetry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Best poem to read on a date to like impress your date. Certainly you will never catch me reading my own poem (laughs) on a date. What the? (laughs) Oh, no. Listen, little piece of advice. If you're ever on a date and someone's like, yo, let me read you this poem I wrote. And it's like early in the in the dating. No, no, no. You got to run. That's not a good sign at all. Um, Yeah, get out of there. Someone else's poem. Probably Ross Gay. Mm. For sure. Best question that you've gotten from a kid at a Q&A? A genuine one is a lot of times kids will ask, like, is this really your job? (laughs) And like the teachers are always horrified because they think that I will be offended by that question. But I always see it as like, I can like watch a kid trying to do the math of Mm. like, wait a second, wait a second. You could just be a poet. Like that's (laughs) your job. And I really love that. Like it doesn't I'm like, I know, right? Can you believe? Uh, so that's probably probably my favorite, but I'm sure I'll think of other ones. That. Best place to get a Sarah K poem tattooed. Oh, no. Well, um, you know, with a trusted tattoo artist. I know that was <laughs> the question you were asking, but like, don't go to a shady place, you know? Make sure they're not putting typos in there. That's the real key. Oof. Yikes. Um, best sandwich in New York City? Ooh, my father's kitchen. My dad is the best sandwich maker there is. Okay. My last question. Best reading you were in the audience for? There are two that popped into my head. The first time I ever saw Anis Mojgadi perform, I was probably like 16, maybe. And he came through New York City and was the feature at the Bowery. And I was young enough that I didn't know about like the scene. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, any poet walking in off the street was every other poet. Like I didn't know anybody by name. I just was starting to fall in love with poetry, period, and wanted to watch everybody. I knew nothing about him. I was sitting under the bar and the way that the night used to work was it would be an open mic and then the feature would do a set and then the slam would start. And they had already asked me to be like the sacrificial (laughs) poet to like open the slam. So I was going to have to perform first after the feature, right? So I'm sitting, I'm like waiting, the open mic happens. And then Anise goes up on stage. He does his set. 
were in a room of like, I don't know, 30 people. And I was so struck, completely out of this world. Tears were streaming down my face and I like couldn't speak. And I was like, I'm supposed to perform. <laughs> like, I'm not even on this planet anymore. And I went to the bar and I got a, a cocktail napkin and I wrote, you just changed my life. Thank you. And I folded it and I like went up to him and I put it in his hand and then I ran away. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and now you're like and pals. <laughs> and now we're pals. But that was like, I mean, there are still times when poems knock me out of this stratosphere. I think that was the first time I felt it happen. And ironically, the other time that I was thinking of also has to do with Anise. And it was watching him win. It was like an indie track at Nationals. But we were in this like beautiful old theater. Mm. And everyone had done these like big, loud poems. And we're like killing and like an audience of poets going wild for poets. And then Anise got on stage and did that poem of his that ends with her backbone is a plum. Her backbone is a plum. And it was the most silent a room I've ever experienced. Like the room of poets, like couldn't breathe. So those are the two like live performances that I got to witness that just like stay with me forever. Yeah. I got goosebumps on my my (laughs) arm. Um, And I guess the last one that I'll say is... um, Oh my best. god, that was such a long answer. I'm I the know, worst no, 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 it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. <sighs> the only last one is um, best thing for somebody to tell you after a show. Whatever is true to them. Mm. I will tell you that no one will ever top the woman who was pregnant and started going into contractions during a show and waited for the show to be finished. <gasps> So that she could get her book signed before she went to the hospital. And so we got to the merch table and her wife nicely like asked if they could cut the line because they had to go to the hospital. And I was like, oh, my God. And she was so calm. I'm timing out the contractions on my little app. Like, I'm good. Like, no worries. And I was like, ah. Oh my so, god. So yeah, hard to hard to have an after show. Uh did they name the baby after you? Like what the <laughs> fuck, dude? <laughs> just John, no matter the wreckage. <laughs> <laughs> I was so much more stressed than they were. Oh my god. <laughs> well, Sarah, you won the game. You did Hooray! Win the game. Amazing. One pregnancy too, somehow. I think. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. Game two. All right. So this is this versus that, where we're going to put two things in a round of fisticuffs so you tell us who would win in a fight, okay? And today's this versus that. In this corner, we have 10 Sarahs, okay? And in that corner, we have two Sarah Ks with luggage full of bricks. (laughs) Those bricks can either stay inside of the luggage or they could be pulled from the luggage and launched at the Sarahs, okay? So there's like 10 inside Sarahs. Versus... Two Sarah K's with suitcases full of bricks. (laughs) First of all, just any number of me more than the one, a (laughs) terrible idea. Do you know what I mean? Like, we do not need more of this is what I'm saying. Just the one. Enough. Uh, Ten is so many. Um, (laughs) But the other ones have bricks and they're prepared to like be in the outside world. Right. They're at the top of the game. You know, yeah. Yeah. I do think that 
I want to believe in Inside Sarah's because let me tell you what, Inside Sarah has been working out. Like, yeah, like I run now, which is absurd. Uh, Shout out to 14-year-old me who like could not finish the mile in gym class. And they were like, well, the period is over now and everything else is done, but it's okay. We'll just mark you down that you completed it even though you did it. So Inside Sarah has like really been learning how to to be in her body. So times 10, that feels promising. (laughs) But if I'm being really honest, like the Inside Sarahs would just immediately be fighting each other. (laughs) There would be just a lot of in the ranks fighting. You know what I mean? They could not even like notice that Sarah Kay is even nearby. Like they're just fully, (laughs) fully fighting each other at all times. So really, Sarah Kay wouldn't even have to lift a brick. They'd wow. like show up and be like, ooh, this looks messy. I'm good. <laughs> you know what? Let's, they'll take care of that themselves. So I do think that the two Sarah Kays would, would come out victorious. Wow. And that one brick yeah. throne. Wow. <laughs> Mary a brick, brick throne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Oof. Um, Amazing. Well, you won that game. I mean, great. Yeah, you won it all Someone around. won it. Someone One won of it. the Sarahs won I it. I think we Many won. I think lost. all the Sarahs lost. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's more like it. Uh, okay, cool. So now we're going to ask, we're going to play our last game, which is called This Versus Something Else, where we'll ask you if you want to stay in this reality or join an alternate reality that we've created for you. So, um, Sarah, would you rather stay here in whatever this is or be in a world where an invisible audience applauds every time you do something great, but also that same invisible audience boos when you do something crappy? Yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> No, thank you. What the heck? Absolutely not. That's like literally what social media is. I've already got that. <laughs> but it wouldn't be but it wouldn't be worth it for the for the applause? No. <laughs> when you just like make a good frittata and then an audience is like, yeah. No. No. But do you get booed if you burn the frittata? Yeah, exactly. That's what's terrible. <laughs> No, 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 thank you. I'm trying to separate from audiences. You know what I mean? I'm trying to live audience free. <laughs> oh, that okay, was okay, a okay. not hard question at all. Okay, that okay, was okay. so easy. <laughs> okay, wait, can I modify? What if the audience can applaud and there's a laugh track also? So when you make a joke, then they laugh. Also terrible. Because also terrible? I would never know. Yeah, yeah. Because it would be like, oh, that's like a fake laugh track. Yeah, now you're mm. just like, this This life was lived in front of a live studio audience. And now they're yeah, just Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get that noise out of here. I'm staying in this reality. We got to make this decade better, Franny. We got to stick around. <laughs> Amazing. Whew. Well... I think that you've also won that game. Sarah. You won that right. game too. You won all three of the games. Although three I will three. say, y'all, I think I might be taking, I might take the 
the applaud boo reality. I, I was going to say, I really? think you, yeah. Yeah, I think I my, I think I, my love of applause and my fear of getting booed would make me the best person ever. <laughs> mm, yeah, also because I think that sometimes you could use a boo. <laughs> I could use a boo. Really like, when you're like, should I go to the orgy in the pandemic? And an audience is like, boo. Like maybe that would be helpful. But that just sounds like a, like, you know, what is it? Right shoulder angel, yeah, yeah, left yeah, yeah, yeah. shoulder devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The audience thing is so stressful because it's like so many, like I'm already nervous about trying to please <laughs> and 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 do good by whoever I think is coming for the report card. But mm-hmm. to have many of them <laughs> be like, how do I even know? Like, what? how do I know how to... How to how to appeal to all of these <laughs> invisible audience members? Oh my god! What if they can have like a mixed reaction? Like that's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, oh. Like some audiences are not unanimous. Like some person's like boo in the back, and you're like, oh no! <laughs> I thought that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, I guess it would be sad to sometimes make jokes that aren't that funny. And then to have that confirmed for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I'm taking it. I need those booze. I think you're right. I think <laughs> I feel like we can get you a shoulder devil and a shoulder angel and not burden you with a whole ass audience. That's the thing. I'm not going to trust just the one angel and the one devil. Oh, and I would want... be cooler with the devil anyway. And so it's right, just right, like, right, I right, mean, right. maybe this is something we can just do amongst ourselves once a year. Maybe once a year I can gather with my friends and y'all could just boo me for like 10 minutes. <laughs> Just be a little bit better for like the next seven months after that. <laughs> you could you could keep a list of all the questionable things you're considering, yeah. and then you could run it by. You just start orgy during a pandemic. Boo! You're like, all right, well, not that one. Cross that off, and then you go to the next one. You know, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Except that I also feel like maybe you would live for the booze and then kind of do some of the things that got booed anyway. Nah, only villains live for booze. And I'm like a bad hero, but I want to be a hero at the end of the day. Mm, that's real. Ooh, I love that. A bad hero. A flawed hero. Yeah, I'm Hancock, you know? Oh, I forgot about that movie. Yeah, see? <laughs> okay. We're just talking about bullshit now. Sarah Kay, it was great to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Well, random Will Smith movies now. Um, Sarah, where can you be found in the ways that you want people to find you? And also, would you please read us a poem? Yes, I will read you a poem. And at the moment, I'm kind of in hiding from the world. So I'm not super findable. But I think theoretically, if I reemerge, it'll probably be in the Twitter sphere. K, Sarah, Sarah on Twitter. And before I do a poem, can I say one small thing? I think this year plus time, like one of the things when I was at the lowest of wrestling with myself that I realized I needed in order to come back out of that was like, I really needed to make intentional pockets of joy because one of the things missing was the experience of live art that brought me so much joy. Going to shows, going to movies, going to galleries, whatever it is, listening to live music. So that was gone. And in its absence, I was spiraling. And so I was really looking for these little moments of joy that I could cling to. And 
I just like listened to a lot of this podcast and like it felt like hanging out with y'all and this was especially special because it was like sitting on the shoulder of friends and artists who I like love and own multiple copies of your books. Uh, and the podcast is great all the time. And also this year, it felt like a real lifeline to grab for. I'm just really grateful that you have been making it and that you've been like turning your attention and your time to these poems and these poets. Cause it like, it brings a lot to my life and, and I'm like really, really, really saved me from some dark places. So thank you guys a lot, a lot, a lot oh, for real, for real. Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. That means a lot. Sarah, that means a lot. And also I guess I'll just say, I mean, we could, we could, each of us could go on like a long soliloquy about how much you mean to us as like a as a poet and as a human being. This is one of our last episodes of this thing and it means a lot for it to be with you, you know? Well, I just, I wanted to make sure you knew, like I'm sure people have told you how great the podcast is, but like really, really, you have created this archive of conversations with people who love poetry and getting to tap into that is like this like rushing river of joy and poetry and love and to get to like dip into it and like be overtaken by it for an hour at a time is like, I don't know. It's, it's in a year when I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't just walk out and find it. I could like have it in my hand was so valuable. And soon I hope it will be safe enough for us to be in the same places and we can share poems out loud again. But in the meantime, like what a what a gift to have access to that. Here, here. Okay. <laughs> Y'all ain't gonna get me. Oh shit, my computer almost fell. Um <laughs> yeah. that emotional. was the end of the recording. <laughs> <laughs> and then Denez died. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Okay, so should I do, is there anything, is, did I miss things? Is there, I just got to say this poem and then we're out. Is I that think it? that's it. That's yeah, how it works? I think that's it. Dang. Okay, all right, <sighs> let me take a sip of water. This is the last poem we're going to hear on Zoom. No. <laughs> wow. So weird. It's wow, so, get that so pressure weird. out of here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but just, this is the last time that we as people will hear a, a poem. poem. A, a poem. A poem yes. ever. This is the last ever. poem. <laughs> this is the last one. This is the last oh, one. God. Make it count. Um, okay. Well, in that case, um, I wanted to share a poem that absolutely only exists because of Franny and Franny's art and Franny's way of being in the world. I have turned to your poetry so much as guidance and as light. So this poem got permission to exist because I was reading a lot of your poems, I think. I used to think so much about poetry was about observation of what is and naming it. And I still believe that. But I also now think more about if I have people's time and attention what if I also tried to put our attention on what could be? And Franny really showed me how to dream out loud for what could be, what should be, and like the work of imagining other possible options. So I learned that in October, more people in Japan died 
from suicide than had died by COVID-19 in all of 2020. In the wake of that, the Japanese government created a new position, which is the Minister of Loneliness. I was thinking about what it would mean for someone to take on that work. And so this is called the Minister of Loneliness. The Minister of Loneliness has abolished email. He is installing tin cans on every windowsill with a piece of string to someone else's window. Not several, just one. Each person does not need a lot of people to speak to, of course, just the one. But the one must be reliable, must be available when needed. We are employing a buddy system now. Every day is a field trip to the adulthood museum, and we don't go home until everyone has been accounted for. The way you find your buddy is a nationwide game of guess who, where you sing the song that is always stuck in your head, describe the movie you can't get through without crying, the hardest you've ever laughed, the outfit you wish you could pull off, and the only person who can spot you is the one you are assigned. All of Japan is a ball of string now. The economy has ground to a halt. Productivity is entirely impossible. Sometimes you go to talk into the can on your windowsill and a knot in the string accidentally gives you someone else's conversation. The fading fabric of someone else's loneliness evaporating into the air between buildings. You are allowed to eavesdrop, but so is everyone else. The Minister of Loneliness has moved all kindergartens to the ground floor of elderly assisted living centers. There are daily story hours, animal shelters across the street. The Minister of Loneliness has not abolished Valentine's Day, but has employed a nationwide bring enough for the class regulation, and nobody goes home empty-handed. The Minister of Loneliness has prescribed therapy for everyone, daily walks through the many gardens, opportunities for meditation by a brook, in the rain, under falling blossoms, or along a snowy riverbank, depending on the season, he has commissioned musicians, poets, actors to create concerts and radio plays and poetry readings to be pumped across the knotted tin can radio lines every evening when you order dinner for one. The person who delivers it arrives with an appropriate ability and comfort level dance instruction video and two hours to spare. Grieving is encouraged and art making is rampant, but Because of the knots, sometimes when you are expecting a visit from a grief counselor, the dance partner food delivery arrives instead. Sometimes they are the same person. The minister of loneliness isn't tired. He is the most popular man in the country. He has a crush on a middle school teacher across town and everyone eavesdrops to hear the way he stumbles when she answers. Everyone is on the edge of their seats. Everyone forgets about dying because they can't wait to find out what happens next. Everyone has opinions. The minister has to start a hotline where people can call in to tell him their thoughts. The tin cans rattle nonstop. The minister is grateful for the advice, but is nervous. His crush will hear the commotion. He is nervous. She prefers quiet, but he does not know for sure yet. He does not know what she is thinking, does not know how she spends her Saturdays or how she prefers her tea or whether she likes to walk in the rain, but he likes wondering when nobody is paying attention, when the windowsills are quiet, late at night awake, he does like to wonder.
That was Sarah Cusswords K. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. I think that my cat, it sounded like she just like headbutted the door, but um, oh, no. I don't think, I hope she's okay. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. God, I love that poem. I get transported to a whole different world, you know, but that's also the same world. Mm. Just like Sarah's like a different her, but the same her. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I really love when Sarah was talking about like inside Sarah, right? This is the like motherfucker I got to be, you know, in this <laughs> quarantine season. But like, you know, we've been inside verses for like five years now, right? <laughs> Do you feel like the person you've been like on this program has been you? You know, we got two more episodes left. So who are you, bitch? <laughs> First of all, it's like very, very weird to be at the end. I've been thinking about this, like who I've really, who I've really been surely sometimes I've been like a more polished or like my net attitude has been more positive on this show than (laughs) maybe in my life generally. But I think that in some ways, like being in a room with you, whether that's a digital room or like a physical room, I'm much more able to be a, a version of myself that feels like true to me here than like if we are on a stage or like, even like at a party or something, you know, because it feels I, I'm just sort of like, oh, I'm hanging out with Dinez. Like we're just like chit chatting and talking shit. It's kind of wild to think about other people very creepily eavesdropping on me and my <laughs> friend talking, you know, like yeah. let's just admit that it's like very creepy that y'all are just like listening to us right now. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> why are you as a man listening to a podcast about poetry right now? <laughs> <laughs> like why are you like obsessed much like yeah come on. <laughs> no but like how great how amazing and how weird and, and how weird <laughs> yeah what about you do you feel like you've been do you feel like you've been you i think so sometimes you know i think there's definitely like a podcasty denez maybe who i will also say is like probably even less professional than like if you ask me to, like, interview people for, like, an event, I'm, like, much more professional with, like, you know, like, my little, like, questions, like, my rapport. But, like, I'm very, like, yeah, like, that live audience makes me, like, you know, stand up a little straighter. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. But I think especially, like, on Zoom when we're, like, doing these things because it's just me and you at the beginning and the end of these shows, it's been... I'm going to miss it so much. And, you know, we are, we're making our plans beforehand about how we just still need to, like, keep just talking to each other to, yeah. to, in this amount. Um, and, you know, people don't know. Like, it takes us an hour sometimes to start <laughs> recording these intros and outros because we're just chatting, you know? Yeah. And I think at that end, if I've already talked to my friend for an hour, the next part of that conversation, even though it's, like, recorded and, like, maybe, like, you know, for this thing that we do, I'm already so in a space of comfort and love by the time we get there that it would be hard to become someone who wasn't myself in this space. And I think when we were recording in person, that was really wonderful too. But I think there were, there were like some entire interviews with certain guests or maybe just a moment where I did feel like, Hey, like my anxiety about this being a podcast, my anxiety about that future audience turned off. And it was just me, my friend, you know, Daniel, who's also, who's become my friend in this process and a poet, you know, that we love talking about poems, talking about life, you know, shooting the shit. I'm grateful to the format that we've done. I think there was another more sterilized version of the show that I didn't know how to be myself in. But this has been such a home. Which guest was it um, that was talking about having a home for your mind? Monica Sock. I'm so reminded of that. 
um, when I think about what Versus has been for me, a home for my mind, a home for my heart. I think there have been times over these last five years where like this program is what like sustained and saved my relationship to poetry. You know, any place that has my best friend and my love of poetry sitting on the inside has to be a place where I can be myself. Well, I guess that would be a question that I have, you know, to kind of close us out here is like, is there anything that you're taking from the lessons about how we've been able to sort of be ourselves in this format that you might take to other other times when it's it feels hard to bring your full self to something? A lot of the lessons I think are um, honestly going to be as easily transportable, not easily, but I see their payoff in how I teach. And recognizing, I think that's another space where I very much like, like you were saying, like, you know, you have Dr. Francis Schwa. Dr. Professor, excuse me, Dr. Dr. Professor Professor Francesca M. Schwa. Thank you. You know, I think there are times where I walk in and I'm, you know, I try to be like, you know, Reverend Dr. Professor Daniel Z. Smith, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And, but I think the one truth I know about poetry is that humans write it. <laughs> and the value that maybe this podcast has brought to me was like, there's value in shooting the shit about poetry, right? We can geek out, but also remember that we are very human within the midst of this genre and this craft, you know? I think that has made me realize, like, I my job is to also, like, facilitate a comfort within my students the way I would in my guests, where what can come up in a space of like casual conversation, right? Or a conversation that you feel at peace in. That's what I mean by casual conversation. The same way I've seen guests get to a thought that I don't think they would have got to, you know, that's been some of the beautiful moments, right? To see somebody having a new thought, like live on this podcast. Ah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. You know? Oh God, <laughs> um, to like make that happen in my students, right? How can I get you comfortable enough to think something new, you know, to like be less guarded in your thinking and to let those walls down. And I think that's where transformation happens. So yeah, I think this has made me like a better communicator, a better teacher, hopefully a better listener. I don't think you can do this for five years and not be changed. And I'm excited to meet my life after this, you know, and I hope I hope it doesn't turn shitty. <laughs> you know, but I'm excited to like, you know, walk away from this and like then be reminded like, oh, I feel like I'm on verses right now because I know that's a very like wonderful feeling to have within me. Yeah. How about you? I don't really honestly, I don't have that much to add to that. I guess the only thing I'll add is that like I think that I've been so overwhelmed with how uh people that I think of as like legends and heroes and like, you know, almost like living gods when it comes to how much I admire them as a poet, like to see folks like that also get nervous and also be like interested and be here and be willing to like talk and joke and stuff. Like, I think that that is maybe something I'll take away that like um, poetry, it's written by people. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps me remember that, like, I'm a person <laughs> and, like, it's okay to <laughs> yeah. just be a person. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, well, should we say thank you to some people and get out of here? We should. I am going to thank Frederick Douglass, who, if this was a video podcast, y'all would see that my hair kind of has the Freddy D part right now. <laughs> um <laughs> And I find it delightful. And I don't think we talk about him enough as a fashion icon. You know, abolition this, narrative in the life of that. But 
let's really talk about what that nigga did in the field of the fro. I think it's about time <laughs> that he got his just due. So Frederick Douglass, um, you know, good friend, <laughs> as Donald Trump said, you know, met him a lot of times. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> Freddie D, I see you. Style icon. Um, storm the Met Gala. You go, girl. Um <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. I'm so mad at you for Freddie D. That's really, really, really rough. Um and really very much appreciated. I'm also gonna thank a fashion icon that has been on my mind recently, which is Ness, you know, from Super Smash Brothers and also whatever game Ness was in. <laughs> because I feel like that look of the like hat, sideways cocked hat and the striped shirt. And the kind of like um, cheerful attitude, um, even in the midst of a, of a of struggle, that's been really inspiring for me. So thank you, Ness. A like Futch icon. Oh my a god. A Futch icon. Futch icon. Is Ness, Ness short for Vanessa? Ooh, maybe. That'd, that'd be a really cute like NB shortening of Vanessa. Yeah. Ness. That's Ness. really good. Well, wow. If your name happens to be Ness, like. Shout out to you also. Shout out to you, Ness, and also shout out to secret queer icon Ness from Super Smash Brothers. Still don't like playing as you because you're too <laughs> difficult for me and I don't have the time. <laughs> it's really hard. The thing where he does the like lightning and then... Like, yeah, you got to really... make it hit your ass so you can it's go so up. And it's so hard. hard. I never get it in time. <laughs> oh my God. I just fall and die. Um, we, all, we also want to thank our producer, Daniel Kisslinger. Thank you to Idomi Noriega and Itzel Blancas at the Poetry Foundation. Thank you to Post Loudness and all of the other people who make this podcast happen, which includes you, listener, you person listening to it. You also make it happen, too. Thank you to you. Yes, you do. Make sure that you like, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get our ratings up. I think they're already high, but let's get them even upper, you know, so yeah, we can... Be good. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hand the next host of this show a five-star rating, you know? Like, hey, y'all are tight. Keep, keep it going. Um... <laughs> Make sure that you follow us on Twitter at VS the Podcast. Let us know what you think about this podcast where you go from a conversation about poetry to Frederick Douglass and Super Smash Brothers characters in like under <laughs> five minutes. Um, and that's all we have for y'all today. We have one more interview with the poet after this one, two more episodes to go. Uh, we thank you so much for coming along with us on this journey. Let's finish it strong. We love y'all. Yeah, we love y'all. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> we love y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>